I want to share a message with you this morning about sharing the message. So what I impart to you, you impart to others, right? And uh, we're sharing the message of the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's bow and ask God to minister. Lord, we bow our heads and we pray and we worship. Really, we never come out of a place of fellowship with your Holy Spirit. We're asking you to speak to us, teach us, talk to us, stir us. And Lord, help us to understand the power and majesty of your word, Lord, we pray today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. I want to give you a context of understanding the gospel. Something happened to the church after Gutenberg invented the printing press. It was a glorious thing because the word then could become printed and distributed to so many. It was amazing. And then from the printing press, we went to media and multimedia and uh, radio to TV to movies to uh, MP3s to podcasts to just an amazing uh, wealth of spreading the message of the gospel. But could I tell you one thing? The uniqueness of this gospel is that its intentions were always to be person to person spoken to one another. And I believe there's a lethargy that's come over the church because of the ability to broadcast and use all sorts of technologies and medias to express this message. We have forgotten that it is a message person to person. And I believe in this day and in this hour, God is needing a church that will be personally involved with the lost and with others. Let me help validate that with some statistics. In the first century Palestine world, um, about 10% of the Roman population could read. 90% was illiterate. Of the Jewish world at that time, 3% could read. That means 97% were illiterate. There were no Bibles that were being passed around and handed out. The New Testament wasn't written. In fact, the Gospel of Mark was the first Gospel written somewhere between 60 and 65 A.D. That meant that there were 30 years without any New Testament documents. Quite earliest letter or epistle written would have been by Paul probably around 50 A.D. And that was just a letter to one of the churches. We forget that when we're reading this book. We forget that half the then known world wasn't reading and they didn't have a New Testament. And most of the Old Testament documents were in the synagogues read once a week or daily by priests. So how was this message that turned the world upside down in the first few centuries, how was it propagated throughout the then known world? Orally. It was spoken person to person. We look at, at people's conversations today and we look at oral conversation interpretation as lesser than the written word. The written word being more factual and accurate, but it was quite the reverse back then. Because there weren't that many written words. If you were going to have Iliad or uh, the Iliad or the Odyssey by Homer, you were probably going to see an oral presentation of that, not necessarily get the book out of a local library. They didn't have it. 
most of what was declared was orally spoken and dramatically presented. And so we've forgotten that. We pass out tracts, and please, I know I've made a couple, I've, some of you came up to me, Pastor, is it all right if I hand out tracts? I've made a few comments about tracts, and there's nothing wrong with tracts. Tracts are great. But don't let a track ever replace your communication of the truth to somebody. And see, we've done that. We've, we've relegated, well, I'm not as good as this track is, so here's a track. You're better than a track. You'll always be better than a track. Because your heart and your voice are speaking, and you're a testimony. They don't know the guy that wrote the track. But they're looking into your eyes, and they're seeing you, and you have a testimony. This gospel is birthed by human breath out of a heart that has relationship with Jesus. There's no replacement for that. Somebody say amen, because that was really good. Most of the people couldn't read most of the writing in this time period as well, because in the Greek and in the early writings, there was no punctuation. It was all written in capitals. So it would most likely look like this. And I don't know if you can interpret that, but it's John 3.16. Alright? And so many times, scribes and readers were essential for these letters and writing. And so when people gathered together, they interacted personally with the Holy Spirit as He spoke into their lives. Tongues, interpretation, and prophecies were declared in their midst. And the reading of some of the epistles of the apostles, at least for the 35, 40 years after Jesus, were, were just shared information that people heard and knew. They would uh, speak out of the Old Testament but again, it, it, it wasn't a Bible study where they all had Bibles. It was a living, breathing organism of the Holy Spirit living and breathing over the people of God, sharing testimony and sharing life. Books were expensive and seldom owned. A roll of papyrus cost four drachmas, and one drachma was one day's earning. So for Paul to write the book of Romans and, and to put it on a sheet of papyrus, it would have, he would have had to work four days to get one sheet of paper. Do you remember how Paul was a tent maker and he would work and he would labor? And so it was so important to him that he told John Mark and he told Barnabas, he told Luke when, when he was in prison, bring me my books, bring me my writing utensils, because it was rare to have the parchments. And so he would, in order to write a, an extensive book like the book of Romans, he had to labor for a month to get enough money for the parchment to write it. And then when it was delivered, it, he, he, they didn't put it on a Xerox machine. And they typically didn't have enough scribes to just copy it and translate it. They had to make sure it was done accurately and properly. But interestingly enough, the New Testament has more ancient copies than any other book in existence. We can validate its accuracy to 99% accurate to the originals. Because we have such an abundance of transcripts. 
And so it was carefully observed on how to uh, read and study and understand the New Testament. Why am I sharing all these statistics with you? Because I want you to know the oral expression of truth was transferred person to person. They didn't have the books, the tapes, the CDs, and the podcasts as we do. And so people shared their heart. They shared information. Most writing was limited to inventory or finances. Even if there were written texts, they were read out loud. People preferred audible instead of reading. So if they had a letter uh, from Paul or an epistle from Peter, and eventually by 65 AD they had the Gospel of Mark, and from there came Matthew and Luke, John wasn't written till 95 AD. And all of this was orally spoken in the church. And so they would visit church to church to speak the message. And this is very similar to what I experienced in China. In the underground churches in China, the Bible's forbidden. Many of them didn't have their own personal Bibles. And so one member in the church that may have had a Bible shared the message with the rest of the Chinese church. They would listen to it, they would study it, they would memorize it. And then they would share it. We, we know where to go for our information concerning Jesus to our Bibles, which is foreign to the New Testament church because where the resource was to go on information of God was to the believer. You see the difference? And we've become accustomed to having it on our shelves as a resource when God wants it in your heart as the message. God needs a people who will give a message. Interesting in the dynamic of the New Testament church, we see that at the, book of, at the end of the book of Romans, Paul says this about a particular sister. Her name was Phoebe. And he said this about Phoebe, Phoebe, uh, Romans 16, verses 1 and 2. I commend to you our sister Phoebe, a deacon of the church in Centuria. I ask you to receive her in the Lord in a way worthy of his people and to give her any help she may need from you, for she has been the benefactor of many people, including me. It's a really interesting dynamic concerning Phoebe. It causes us to pause and wonder the role of women in the church because many of the passages that are in the church concerning women being silent in the church and not having instruction over men were really more topical to that region because we have in Romans 16, Phoebe, who is a deaconess, a leader in the church, a servant of the church, a benefactor of Paul, and we even have Junia, who's listed as among the apostles. An apostolic calling for a woman in leadership. But here, what's unique about this, when you understand what God is doing through the New Testament, sharing the epistles, Paul wrote the epistle of Romans, and Phoebe was the one who delivered it. Now, you would say, yeah, she put it in her purse and carried it to Rome. It was more than that. 
What Phoebe did was Phoebe had to protect that one and only scroll of Paul concerning his argument on his treatise on salvation, which is the foundation of the New Testament, and she was to protect it and preserve it and deliver it to Rome, and what was she going to do, just drop it off? No, she was the commentator on Romans. She sat and was educated by Paul on how to interpret this message, and if it wasn't her that spoke it she was at least the one who took all the questions and answers concerning Paul's doctrine now there's a dispute as to whether she was the reader of that book for the churches at Rome and I say churches because in Romans 16 you'll see uh, greet the house of this person greet the house of that person the church met in households throughout Rome And Phoebe would come and present the epistle to the Romans in one house church and come to another and present the epistle of Romans to another house church. Ladies, that's awesome. And when they would have discussion, what did Paul mean? What did Paul mean? Guess who they asked? Phoebe, the messenger. The angel of the church, if you will. Book of Revelation written to the angels of the churches the messengers and so when we have readers the readers are those who receive the message they hear the reading and so as they would hear it they would begin to listen again and listen intently gain that information and where would they store it here here church we've got to get back to business storing the Word of God in our being. Well, Pastor, I don't have that good of a memory. You've got the Holy Spirit who will bring to remembrance everything that He's put in there. Many of you shortchange your ability to know Scripture. You don't have to memorize it word for word. You need to know the truths of Scripture. That's what's essential. You might not be able to quote it in King James. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whoever shall believe in Him shall not perish but have eternal life. You go, I can't say that. I don't remember it. It's okay because no one knows what you're talking about. We quote verses to the unsaved as if that impresses them. And they're going like, dude, why do you talk like that? I don't even, they shut you down, the first thee and thou. And then start quoting, according to 1 John, according to John 3.16, according to 1 Peter. And they're going like, who's Pete? Who's John? What are you talking about? But if you could say this, you know, God loves you. I want you to know God loves you. That He gave all that He is and was and will be in His Son to die for you. So that you could have life. Life that will be forever. And you're not going to die separated from Him. I just said John 3.16. And they're going like, really? Know the truths. Put the truths here. And speak the truths with love. So what happens with the declaration of Scripture is that it is embodied in love. Which, with the demonstration of the charismata, the gifts of God, they're brought or carried on the spirit of love. In Paul's epistle, 
1 Corinthians, he's writing all about the gifts and how they're to be used by the church, and he stops for a commercial interruption saying, look, in chapter 13, I want you to know, see, there were no chapters in these books, and he said, I want you to know before I tell you all about the gifts and how to use them, if you don't use them with love, forget about it. So love is the carrier, it's the breath out of us that brings the truths of God's Word. You've got to begin to realize that this Word of God doesn't simply need to be memorized and quoted. It needs to be carried along by the Spirit of love as the voice of God through you. I'm excited about what is going to happen to us in this day and age. And there's three ways that God said we're to proclaim, teach, and prophesy this living, breathing Word. So God bless you for handing out tracts. God bless you for handing out DVDs and CDs and Bibles and books. Hallelujah! But somebody starts showing up with the gift of love and the voice. That's what touches people's lives. Now, of course, the Holy Spirit can use anything. He uses donkeys and whales and little worms that crawl and eat trees. If you can know those Bible stories, you get 10 points extra today. But if I were to say that out there, people have no clue about Bible stories anymore because our world is spiritually illiterate. So enough with the, the papers and the pages and the books and the tapes, they're illiterate spiritually. And so the gospel must come back to its first century presentation of a people who care about the lost and will share a word born on love coming out of their being. Are you with me? Can you feel the passion of God in this? This is how the gospel was to be presented. And there are three words that speak of presenting the gospel. One is proclamation, one is teaching, and one is prophecy. Now, we begin with the first word, and that is proclamation. It's written 32 times. This word is used uh, 32 times in the gospel, eight times in the book of Acts. Kariso, uh, uh, which is also referred to as the kerygma, which is the proclamation of the good news. That's what we're to proclaim. First of all, Christians got to start realizing we've got something good to say. All right? We've got something good to say. Stop fighting with everybody. Stop yelling at people. Tell everybody there's some good news. Right? There's really some good news. When people start talking about the election this fall, tell them, hey, I've got better news than that. I've got good news. Jesus is still on the throne. And despite whoever ends up in that office, Jesus is the good news. Right? Let's go to the good news, shall we? (laughs) And when uh, people who are coming against and and, uh, the Islamic Uh, terrorism that comes out uh, tell somebody there's some good news that Jesus is king and he'll take any situation and he'll redeem it amen 
and any political agendas and, and so forth uh, that people are spouting out about, you let them know there's good news. No matter what you have to bring to me, i got good news. I have to tell you something. There's something good right now. It's Jesus. He's the good news. The kerygma is the gospel. So, in fact, implicit in the word gospel is good news. And what do you do with news? You tell the news, right? Uh, Extra, extra, read all about it. Let people know the news, right? When you had a baby, didn't you tell everybody? Hey, guess what? Guess what? I had a baby. It's good news. And so the proclamation is the telling of good news. It's sharing it with people. It's really being happy about Jesus. So how you doing? I'm good, man. I love God. And they'll go like, oh, wow, that's weird. No, it's not. It's awesome. Speak out of the reality you live in. You live in the reality of Jesus Christ. Mark 3, verse 14 says this, And he, Jesus, appointed twelve, whom he also named sent ones. That's what apostle means. Sent one. An apostle brings the culture of one kingdom into another. Jesus said, you're going to be my sent ones. And so he picked 12 sent ones so that they might be with him and he might send them out to proclaim. And so that's what they did. They had something good to say. So we're going to leave here after our pancake breakfast. And before you fall asleep, you've got some good news to tell people out there. We've We've got something good. Already this morning, man, we got enough good news. You start off, those of you who came in late, we started off with a testimony from last week at the end of first service. Someone's leg got, got healed. And so God brought some healing, and we've got a testimony. Someone got healed. The ministry and move of the Holy Spirit in our midst, and we heard the prophecies that came forth that there is a whirlwind coming, but God paid the price for, for our salvation, and that this wind is going to blow against the church, and what it's going to uncover is a glorious bride that some of the gifts she forgot about have been uncovered through this turmoil, and she's radiant and glorious. Come on, somebody. i got good news to share. Amen? somebody's got to proclaim it. But what we've done is we've let the professionals proclaim it. I put $2 in the box so the guy up front will talk for me. Hey, brother, could you help me understand this Bible passage? Yeah, sure, let me Google it and I'll give you a piece of paper of someone who can explain it to you. Really? Come on. Get engaged. Get involved. I don't fully comprehend it, but let me tell you what I think I know. That's all I need. And half the time, they just want someone to talk to. And so proclamation is the whole idea. Its counterpart is evangelize, to gospelize, to speak good news. So the first effort is just the sense of sharing good news. The next is teaching. And he says this, Now, therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded. Now, teaching goes another step further than proclamation, doesn't it? Proclamation is a public witness. Proclamation is a sharing and a public witness of telling good news. But then to teach 
or instruct goes another level into discipleship. And so you share a little bit more information. So that takes a little more what? Personal involvement. But I'm too busy. What are you busy with? Let's review that. All right? Let's talk to the Holy Spirit today and talk to Him about your schedule. But you have a mouth, and it works all the time. So from going here to soccer practice, talk. Half of you are on your cell phone while you're driving anyways. Teach. Talk. Share. Everybody in this room is capable of teaching somebody else. How many of you know that? Pastor, I got saved 20 minutes ago. You've got more information than the lost. 20 minutes more. (laughs) Just stay up ahead of them about 10 minutes and you're all right. Everybody here has the availability and the ability to teach about Jesus. You all have the ability to proclaim him. You all have the ability to speak about him and to teach and to instruct. You don't have to have a doctorate, a master's, a theological treatise to present. Just share about Jesus birthed on love. The Holy Spirit does all the rest. Paul put it this way. Some people plant, some people water, some people harvest, but it's God who gives the increase. God's doing the work in people's lives. Have confidence in the Holy Spirit and watch what happens. Amen? Now, he says we're to proclaim. He says we are to teach. And thirdly, he wants us to prophesy. And what he says is this. I quote from Paul in 1 Corinthians 14. Pursue love and earnestly covet, earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially so that you may prophesy. Prophecy is the word spoken... Well, here it is, verse 3. On the other hand, the one who prophesies speaks to whom? The one who prophesies speaks to? The one who prophesies speaks to? People. We're supposed to be talking to people. Okay? What a concept. The church talking to people. We're supposed to be talking to people. I can't get past that. How many of you have talked to somebody since Friday about Jesus? And I'm not trying to put a guilt trip on you, but hey, we're supposed to be talking to people. Proclaiming, teaching, and now prophesying. And when we speak to people, it is for their edification, exhortation, and comfort. I reverted back to my King James memorization. Edification, exhortation, and comfort. So prophecy is to be carried on love by the Holy Spirit. What is the prophetic? It is an unction or a leading of the Holy Spirit to say something that will build someone up, edify them, right? Exhort them, challenge them, encourage them, and comfort them. All right? It doesn't have to be I see God telling me that in the fifth night of the watch, the Lord will come visit thee and send you to Timbuktu. You know what? Just tell him, you know what? I really feel strongly the Lord wants you to know he loves you. 
That's what I said to Calvin last night. I was sitting on my back porch last night, and I got a phone call at 9 o'clock. And I didn't recognize the number, so I answered it. That was a little telling, wasn't it? Hello? And it was Calvin from India. And uh, so when Calvin called me, he told me that he was calling from Microsoft and that there must be some real problems with my computer because they've shown up and uh, I've got some kind of viruses that are going to corrupt my computer and I needed some help. I've had that call 30 times over the last 10 years. So I said, well, that is interesting. I said, what's your name? And he said, my name is Calvin. I said, okay, Calvin. I said, look, Calvin, I know and you know that this is bogus and that's not going to happen. So let me tell you about Jesus. He goes, whoa, what? I go, Calvin, I need you to understand that Jesus loves you. What, what he, uh, he started, he was a little thrown off there. And I, and I said, there's nothing wrong with my computer, Calvin. And I said, but you really need to understand that Jesus loves you. Do you know Jesus? He goes, um, 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 uh, yeah, I, that's fine. I know all about Jesus. And I said, that's good because you really need to understand, Calvin, how much Jesus loves you and wants a relationship to you. Okay. <laughs> Thank you very much. And he didn't try to sell me anything. And we were done. But I... uh, It drives my wife crazy when I do this. But I do it. I figure if they're going to interrupt my day, I'm going to interrupt theirs. (laughs) You need to do this. They called you. The last call I had like that was about two weeks ago. It was the IRS, and they were sending the police to arrest me. Now, did you get that? Now, the first time I got that, I freaked out. Until I found out that the IRS calls nobody. But nothing against people in India, it's just that that's where most of the telemarketing is is being broadcast out of. So this person said the police were coming, and I'm going, I didn't do anything wrong. And I was $400 short, and I said, no, that can't be. We have someone who does our taxes. I don't understand what's going on. He said, no, they're going to come get you right now. We're going to dispatch the police right now. It's like, what? Do you want to resolve this? Yes, I do. Well, then I'm going to put you on hold. You're going to talk to an IRS agent. And uh, as soon as you get to the other agent, don't say anything, but just tell them you want this resolved. Okay. And then the next IRS agent came on, another man, an Indian man who spoke Indian. (laughs) It's like, I don't know if there's that many folks from India working for the IRS. (laughs) So I got it. So then the next time they call... They got the gospel. So listen, when people are calling you, tell them about Jesus. Make a proclamation. And then I hung up and I went, I should have began praying prophetically. Because I wanted, I I should have asked God for a word of knowledge for that person. Then it would have really freaked out Calvin. 
I gave him a proclamation. We didn't get too far on the teaching. But this is what happens with people. You'll find that you can give a proclamation, and they might have a question to where you can go to a teaching with them. It can be very simple, very basic. But then move into the prophetic. Say something that's going to leave them changed. The prophetic. We're a people of God. It's not about you. It's not about your information. It's about impacting them. Whenever you lead of a conversation with somebody, they should be edified, exhorted, or comforted that they've been in contact with the Holy Spirit. Not, oh, that guy is so impressive with his Bible knowledge. Or, oh, what an irritating buffoon he is. Don't, you need to leave them with Jesus. And so prophecy says, now I want you all to speak in tongues, but even more, to prophesy. For you can all prophesy one by one, so that all may learn and be encouraged. We're to speak to people. And so a prophetic unction can be very simple, very, very basic. We can go from basic to very deep when God would speak deeply to you for someone. And that's fine. And some of you may have that gift, some may not. But the very simplest Simplest form of prophetic is to speak something encouraging, edifying, and comforting into somebody from the truth of God's Word. Here's, here's how you can turn something prophetic into somebody. If someone called you in the middle of the night from India, or if uh, somebody is uh, talking to you on the phone, or a waitress, or someone at a store, and they're talking to you, and they like the little thing on your shirt, oh, that's nice, because it says something about Jesus. What can you say prophetically to them? You can say, you know what, it's not a mistake that I'm here talking to you. Because from the beginning of time, God wanted you to know how much He loves you. Has it got prophetic unction on it? Absolutely. Because you understand, and they may not, but they will after they met you, that every action you take is led by the Spirit of God. And that moment that you came in contact with Him, God ordained it from the beginning of time and that you're a messenger to tell them Jesus loves them. That's how simple the prophetic can be. Does Jesus love them? Yes. I'll never forget the testimony of a brother. Uh, I had counseled with him and his wife. They had been through so much counseling, so much trouble. He finally wanted to sabotage the marriage. He left the marriage, and he was staying away. He was rebellious, um, and, and it was a sad situation. He was just about to get divorced. There was many attempts to intervene, many times and so forth. And he went to the grocery store, and the, the lady bagging his his grocery said, I don't know, I just, I think I need to tell you, Jesus loves you. It broke him. It broke him. He went back to his wife. He repented. He wanted to get things right. And he said, the minute that lady said, Jesus loves you, he said, I knew it. I had heard it. I knew it in the back of my mind. But when she said it, something happened inside me. That lady gave a prophetic unction. How deep was it? Jesus loves you. Come on. But under the weight of God's providence and glory, it carries power. Prophesy, people. Begin to prophesy. Begin to say. You see your waitress. You have a move of compassion. You look a little tired. Tell her you look tired. 
I just pray that you get some rest. Are you weary? Do you need some prayer? Believe me, the timing of the Lord giving you that compassion, she'll go, I need to. I've seen it happen over and over. Don't tell the waitress this. I was on my way to Traverse City one day with a brother, and it was like 90 degrees out. And we went in and we stopped and, and we went to the restaurant to get some food, and we're sitting there, and the restaurant didn't have a lot of air conditioning, and the waitress came over and she was sweating. She was so hot and everything. <laughs> I told her, My goodness, you look hot. Don't, don't do that. She looked at me like, you old man. And my, my friend just bust out laughing. I said, I didn't mean it like that. I didn't mean it like that. It's warm in here. I didn't mean it like that. Forget about it. So you got to be careful how you edify and pick. But anyways, I just thought I'd throw that in there. I'm sharing all of this with you, and this isn't so much a Bible study today, and it's, it's certainly not expository preaching, but it's what I really feel in my spirit as an exhortation to give us as a congregation. I believe in my heart, I'm, I have this excitement that I cannot uh, 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 get past. We are approaching a new day of proclamation. There is a new hour in evangelism and in soul winning and in bringing prodigals back. It is coming forth by the people of God speaking like never before through proclamation, teaching, and the prophetic. You need to get into this whirlwind. I believe that was the prophecy that was given, that the whirlwind coming is coming not against the church, though the enemy is going to blow as hard as they can. And I want to tell you, that's what's going to reveal the church. But there's also a whirlwind coming out of the church, which is the sound of the gospel of Jesus Christ, carried on the voice of people who have a heart to proclaim the love of God. You're all on assignment. Get ready. This stirring is coming. You're going to be surprised at how you can't shake it. It's going to be something so natural and so amazing to you that you're going to share the gospel with people. And, and you might get some negative results, but I can tell you about 90% will be positive. It will be positive. I've hardly gotten negative responses from, from people. Uh, almost all of it's been positive. And I'm telling you, you're in this move. This is our hour. This is our time as a people. This is a new day of proclamation. Get ready to proclaim the gospel, teach the gospel, and prophesy the good news of God. Amen? How many of you will receive that today? Amen. Stand with me. Stand with me.